Lisa, half of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa from Two Sober Chicks. And today, what I thought I'd do with my coffee time this morning was bring to you the Harry Tebow Study Guide. This is the uh, second edition, and it's found on the primetimeisnow.com website for free. You can have a look at it and read along as you listen, or do what I do, which is listen to a lot of podcasts in the car when I'm driving to and, to and fro. So I'm just going to read this to you, and uh, you can download it and follow along, as I said, or hopefully it will help you uh, look at it again a little bit later. Um, one of the reasons why I love this so much is because it really helped me understand the word ego in terms uh, and in relation to being an alcoholic and what does that mean. It also helped me understand why for the first several years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had difficulty surrendering to this program of action, um, to surrendering to the concept that there was a power greater than myself. I really struggled with the word God. Um, and this helped me get around all that, get through all of that and see uh, where the problem lied, which was in me and mostly in my thinking. Uh, a friend of mine uh, also pointed out that uh, she bought a book called Harry Tebow, The Collected Writings on Amazon. So if you're a book person and you like to have a hard copy in your hands, you might want to go to Amazon and download or get the book and buy it. Um, but as I said, the free edition uh, PDF study guide is on primetimeisnow.com, and I'd love for you to go and check that out. Um, also, I belong to um, uh, a group, a home group called Primetime Is Now Toronto, and our meetings are Friday night, Eastern Standard Time at 8 p.m., and um, you can find the link uh, for Zoom and our meetings on the Primetime Is Now website. So here we go. Harry Tebow Study Guide 2nd Edition. This is the introduction. Harry Tebow was a psychiatrist who had worked for years with alcoholics when he was first exposed to AA in 1939. He was given a pre-print of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which we now call today the big book, um, or Alcoholics Anonymous textbook. <laughs> He gave it to one of his patients, Marty Mann, who proceeded to throw it out the window. This made me laugh because it kind of reminded me of uh, one of my sponsees telling me that she's had seven big books given to her for free and she's given them all away or at first she threw them in the garbage because, of course, we alcoholics, we don't want to um, follow instructions or be told what to do. Simple things like, why don't you read this book? Anyway, I digress. All right. On a subsequent reading, however, Marty discovered and became willing enough to attend an AA meeting. She reacted favorably to AA and stopped drinking for a period. Though she later relapsed, she attained permanent sobriety a year and a half later. And I think that's important. It does show that if we keep coming back, if we continue to do the things that are suggested, we can get well. Um, sorry, that's me uh, interjecting, not just the uh, study guide. Back to the study guide. Uh, in his first paper on alcoholism, written five years later, Dr. Tebow summarized what he saw as an important discovery. This is a quote. Characteristic of the so-called typical alcoholic is a narcissistic egocentric core, dominated by feelings of omnipotence, intent on maintaining at all costs its inner integrity. 
while these characteristics are found in other maladjustments, they appear in relatively pure culture in alcoholic after alcoholic. Granting then the more or less constant presence of these character traits, it is easy to see how the person possessing them has difficulty in accepting God and religion. Religion, by its demand that the individual acknowledge the presence of a God, challenges the very nature of the alcoholic. But on the other hand, and this point is basic to my paper, if the alcoholic can truly accept the presence of a power greater than himself, he, by that very step, modifies, at least temporarily, and possibly permanently, his deepest inner structure. And when he does so, without resentment or struggle, then he is no longer typically alcoholic. End quote. There are so many reasons why I find that paragraph uh, profoundly important. One, because it talks about um, some of the characteristics that the ego presents in the alcoholic. The other one, I think, is because it's, it's um, explaining in scientific terms uh, what we call the spiritual change, um, the spiritual awakening, uh, the complete and psychic change of our thinking. And I think that's what he's talking about there. Dr. Thibault was astonished at how effective the AA program was in getting his patients to stop drinking. He continued to make a close study of AA's method and tried with success to apply it to his own therapeutic practice. Thibault developed his ideas about why AA works for alcoholics. He expanded on those ideas in papers published in medical journals and talks given to professional medical societies over a period of 21 years. The earliest paper in this collection was published in 1944 and the last in 1965. This is the author of the study guide's um, takeaways from Thibault, uh, and I love this short uh, five-point takeaway. One, alcoholism is a disease of the mind. Two, I have a stubborn, large, and immature ego. True. Three, I have to smash that ego in order to get on with AA, and in brackets the word surrender. Four, my resistance is unconscious. I can agree consciously, but secretly, in brackets, even to myself, resist. Uh, and this is why you'll hear people at primetime use a phrase called self can't reveal self to self. <laughs> That's why, you know, sponsorship is so important. We need somebody else to kind of point out some things that we're unable to see about ourselves. And the fifth point uh, of this author's takeaways are the ego has astonishing recuperative powers. I need a practice that continually keeps it in check. Wow, that one really hit home for me, right? We talk about a daily spiritual reprieve. And that right there in black and white is one of the reasons why we need that daily spiritual reprieve, because you've probably heard the phrase, I've heard people put it in terms like, um, my alcoholic mind wants to kill me. Um, mine doesn't want to kill me. It wants to keep me alive long enough so that it can continue to function and destroy itself slowly. Um, anyway, <clears throat> the next part of the uh, Harry Tebow study guide, second edition is found on primetime is now uh, website continues with in memory of Harry. Now this was written by our founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill W. Uh, it was printed in the Grapevine in July of 1966, and it is used here with permission. 
By the time this issue of the grapevine reaches its readers, the whole world of AA will have heard of the passing of our well-beloved friend, Dr. Harry M. Tebow, the first psychiatrist ever to hold up the hands of our fellowship for all to see. His gifts of courageous example, deep perception of our needs, and constant labor on our behalf have been, and always will be, values quite beyond our reckoning. It began like this. The year was early 1939, and the book Alcoholics Anonymous was about to hit the press. To help with the final edit of that volume, we had made pre-publication copies in multigraph form. One of them fell into Harry's hands. Though much of the content was then alien to his own views, he read our upcoming book with deep interest. Far more significantly, he at once resolved to show the new volume to a couple of his patients, since known to us as Marty and Grenny. These were the toughest kinds of customers, and seemingly hopeless. At first, the book made little impression on this pair. Indeed, its heavy larding with the word God so angered Marty that she threw it out her window, flounced off the grounds of the swank sanatorium where she was, and proceeded to tie on a big bender. So in other words, she was in a hospital, a sanitarium, a psych ward, and she left and went and got drunk. Grenny didn't carry a rebellion quite so far. He played it cool. When Marty finally turned up, shaking badly, and asked Dr. Harry what next to do, he simply grinned and said, you'd better read that book again. Back in her quarters, Marty finally brought herself to leaf through its pages once more. A single phrase caught her eye, and it read, We cannot live with resentment. The moment she admitted this to herself, she was filled with a transforming spiritual experience. Forthwith, she attended a meeting. It was at Clinton Street, Brooklyn, where Lois and I lived. Again, this is being uh, written by Bill W., our founder. Returning to Blythewood, she found Granny intensely curious. Her first words to him were these, Granny, we are not alone anymore. This was the beginning of recovery for both. Recoveries that have lasted until this day. Watching their unfoldment, Harry was electrified. Only a week before, they had both presented stone walls of obstinate resistance to his every approach. Now, they talked, and freely. To Harry, these were the facts, and brand new facts. Scientist and man of courage that he was, Harry did not for a moment look the other way. Setting aside his own convictions about alcoholism and its neurotic manifestations, he soon became convinced that AA had something, perhaps something big. All the years afterward, and often at very considerable risk to his professional standing, Harry continued to endorse AA. Considering Harry's professional standing, this required courage of the highest order. Let me share some concrete examples. In one of his early medical papers that noted one on surrender, he had declared this ego-reducing practice to be not only basic to AA, but also absolutely fundamental to his own practice of psychiatry. This took humility as well as fortitude. It will always be a bright example for us all. Nevertheless, this much was but a bare beginning. 
1944, helped by Dr. Kirby Collier of Rochester and Dwight Anderson of New York, Harry persuaded the American Medical Society of the state of New York to let me, a layman, read a paper about AA at their annual gathering. Five years later, this same trio, again spearheaded by Harry, persuaded the American Psychiatric Association to invite the reading of another paper by me, this time in their 1949 annual meeting at Montreal. By then, AA had about 100,000 members, and many psychiatrists had already seen at close range our impact on their patients. For us of AA who were present at that gathering, it was a breathtaking hour. My presentation would be the spiritual experience as we AAs understood it. Surely we could never get away with this. To our astonishment, the paper was extremely well received, judging at least from the sustained applause. Immediately afterwards, I was approached by a most distinguished old gentleman. He introduced himself as an early president of the American Psychiatric Association. Beaming, he said, Mr. W., it is very possible that I am the only one of my colleagues here today who really believes in spiritual experience, as you do. Once upon a time, I myself had an awakening much akin to your own, an experience that I shared in common with two close friends, Buck and Whitman. Naturally, I inquired, but why did your colleagues seem to like the paper? His reply went like this. You see, we psychiatrists deeply know what very difficult people you alcoholics really are. It was not the claims of your paper that stirred my friends. It was the fact that AA can sober up alcoholics wholesale. Seen in this light, I was the more deeply moved by the generous and magnificent tribute that had been paid to us of AA. My paper was soon published in the American Psychiatric Journal, and our New York headquarters was authorized by the association to make all the reprints we wished for distribution. By then, the trek of AA overseas had well begun. Heaven only knows what this invaluable reprint accomplished when it was presented to psychiatrists in distant places by the fledgling AA groups. It vastly hastened the worldwide acceptance of AA. I could go on and on about Harry, telling you of his activities and, in general, the field of alcoholism, of his signal service on our AA Board of Trustees. I could tell stories of my own delightful friendship with him, especially remembering his great good humor and infectious laugh. But the space allotted me is too limited. So in conclusion, I would have Harry speak for himself. Our AA grapevine of November 1963 carried a piece by him that, between its lines, unconsciously reveals to us a wonderful self-portrait of our friend. Again, we feel his fine perception. Again, we see him at work for AA. No epitaph could be better than this. Signed, Bill W. This is the piece, or the article, that Bill W. was referring to that was printed in the November 1963 issue. It was called, Treating the Causes of Alcoholism. Grapevine article by Dr. Harry M. Tebow. He writes, I liked the article, An AA Doctor's Prescription, which appeared in the July issue of the Grapevine. It nicely stressed the importance of stopping the symptom of drinking, 
The picture showing the roots and its fruits of alcoholism is graphic and intelligible. The concept, the treatment of a symptom, is, I am sure, a sound one. The emphasis on the removal of the symptom can, however, be misleading. It suggests a failure to reach the fundamentals and implies that the symptomatic cure leaves the individual skating on thin ice, with the underlying causes of the trouble still lurking in the background, ready at any moment to trip up the individual. The charge of superficiality may well be levied against a treatment which thinks only in terms of symptoms. The truth, however, is that routinely to assume superficiality is also an error. Sometimes the treatment of a symptom hits into the deeper structures while it takes care of the symptom itself. The history of medicine is dotted with examples in which the remedy of a symptom provided the cure of the condition. A classic illustration is malaria. The malarial patient had a symptom, a fever. Quinine cured this fever and was in use over the centuries, long before the cause had been determined. The therapy was completely symptomatic, yet, as is now known, actually has a scientific basis, namely that the cause of the illness, the malarial parasite, was killed by the drug. In other words, treatment, discovered by chance in nature, in a funny sense, reversed the usual sequence. Science says first find the cause and remedy that, thus curing the illness. Instead, the use of quinine treated the symptom of fever with no reference to the cause, which only later was revealed. The charge of superficiality was disproved by the facts uncovered subsequently. AA is also a therapy discovered by chance. To be sure, the original members followed brilliantly the clues with which their own experience had presented them. They learned from experience. They followed no book. They found a method, a program. They prescribed it, and it worked. The idea of seeking causes was discarded, sometimes noisily and with jeers at those who still tried to be scientific. Yet, AA, like quinine, was designed not only to cure the symptom of drinking, but also to tackle and, if possible, eradicate its causes. The AA program helped the individual remain sober, thus removing the symptoms. It also aimed at altering the inner source of discord by its stress on spiritual development, thereby getting at the causes which provoked the symptoms. The fact is that, as spiritual growth proceeds, the underlying hostile elements are steadily reduced in strength, and thus in their capacity to cause trouble. Psychiatric therapy, depending upon analytical concepts, had tried to reach and uproot the hidden hostilities which poisoned the psyche, the assumption being that such unearthing would free the individual from the grip and enable him to pursue a more healthy path. Unfortunately, the uncovering method had no way of ensuring removal. The individual became acquainted with his hostilities and had no means of getting rid of them. AA adopted a very different approach. AA found a very basic fact, namely, that spiritual growth is the real antidote for the hostile, negative forces. It learned that these feelings do not have to be uncovered, but that somehow the spiritual elements can neutralize the negative forces, thus freeing the individual from their grip. 
In that way, the cause of the condition is effectively extirpated. Like quinine, which actually killed the organism, AA, through its spiritual emphasis, actually may succeed in ridding the individual of harmful attitudes and feelings which had contributed to his difficulties. AA, so to speak, cures without uncovering. The point of my comment has now been made. AA is not to be considered merely a symptomatic remedy. Through its stress on the spiritual, it really digs much deeper. Like quinine, it tackles the original causes. Unfortunately, here the parallel ends. The malarial parasite is specific and can be destroyed. The evils with which the spiritual element must contend are not so readily wiped out. The most one can hope for is progress in the amelioration of the hostilities and growth in the positive forces which ensure health. As a result of this thinking about AA and how its program works, I would like to suggest a companion picture. The tree would have a trunk with roots and branches. The trunk would be labeled the spiritual life and or sobriety. The roots would have titles like love, warmth, charity, gratitude, friendship, forgiveness, kindliness. The limbs would be covered with leaves or blossoms and would indicate somehow the overflowing horn of plenty, the abundant life. This, as I see it, is the miracle not only of AA, but of all life. The capacity to move from a negative to a positive way of life. One final point, this time about how the psychiatrist fits into this picture. In my eyes, his is a dual task. He can help to remove blocks, i.e. the hostilities to spiritual growth. Unless he is mindful of both aspects, he is likely to be of little help. He can no more afford to overlook the spiritual than can any member of AA. Dr. Harry M. Tebow, November 1963. And Bill was right. That was a perfect epitaph for our dear and beloved friend, Dr. Harry Tebow. We'll continue more in this series on the next podcast and episode of Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa, and thanks for joining me.